Ka-ching. Check, 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 check. Okay, so back when I was trying to get me some higher education, some of my partners had this weekly card game. And really, I don't even play cards, but it was fun, you know, just going over there, eating and drinking, talking nonsense. Everybody's always laughing, having a great time. Nothing serious. And none of us were the rich kids with the fancy cars and stuff. We knew we were just lucky to be there. And the weekend was just about to get started. So this Thursday night, I wander on over, had my little six pack, kick open the door. Hey, y'all, what's up? What's up? Hey! Deathly silent. Nobody said nothing. Four people huddled around the card table. Ronnie, Chris, Mike, and Susan. In the middle of all of them, a crazy, huge, towering pile of chips. And right on top, like a cherry on the ice cream sundae, Susan's student loan check for the entire semester. Mike rubbed his fingers together. Susan looked sick. It took me a moment to figure out the game. AC Ducey, the craziest gambling card game in the world, and it had taken a very bad turn. Hey, shh! Everybody said, whoa. Then, the guy who looked like he was cast from a card-playing gangster movie, Chris, just started shaking his head. This is crazy, isn't it? No one's going to afford this. I say if anyone's done now, take your money, be on your way. Chris had spent a semester in London. Nobody made a move. Susan, that's your check, isn't it? Ronnie, be careful now. But then Chris just grinned. His eyes narrowed. All right. All the lot of you, have you had your chance? That's it, then. Will I take all of your money? That's it, then. That's the end of it. And I said, look, y'all. This is The game continued. I knew whoever lost was going to live on beans and water for years. I couldn't look. Then I looked. It was everything. Susan had to draw. She was pale. I never seen a white girl look as white as she did then. She didn't want to draw, but she didn't want to do it, but she couldn't help it. She couldn't help it. It was her turn. They said, do it, 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 do it. Susan turned the card over and screamed. Everybody stood up. And now Susan was laughing and shouting, come to mama, baby. Come to mother. Today, on Snap Judgment, from PRX at NPR, stories about that cash money dollar dollar bill, y'all. What happens when you win big? What happens when you lose your shirt? And what happens when baby needs a new pair of shoes? Now, the song says, more money, more problems. Here at Snap, we say, please. You know, good and well, money works as a terrific problem-getter-outer. You know, there are just so many difficulties that can be fixed with a little cash. Just ask Brian Babylon. I was working with this nonprofit. There was a kid, a couple of kids I got cool with, and it was one kid in particular that I knew that was going to college. Typical bad story turn good type of kid. So he said, hey, I got this laptop and I'm short on my fees. Would you buy it from me? I'm like, you know what? Sure, it was new. I needed a laptop because I had to give the one back for my old job. It was like, oh, damn, this might work out. So it was like 200 bucks. Months go by. I'm sitting in the apartment, and I'm on the computer on, like, America Online for some strange reason. And we shared the floor with this guy named James. He was, like, 72, and he smoked crack. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and I open it, it's James. And he says, him? And then all of a sudden, like, three guys walk in, and they're cops. And they're like, oh, here it is right here and they pick up the laptop. 
They're like, hey, you're under arrest for possession of stolen property, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what? Oh, whoa, whoa. In my mind, that whole thing about the kid telling it to me started like, crap, crap, crap. Man, wow. So as I'm thinking about this, I see my girlfriend walking upstairs. I said, ma'am, who are you? You're under arrest too for possession of stolen property. So she's like, what? And she looks at me like, beep, 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 radio sensor. She comes home from work and she gets arrested. We're in the back of the police car. Of course, she's not speaking to me. She's like, it's over, I hate you. Because earlier that day, we had this big argument about me being immature and not taking life serious. And you know, the, the argument girls do. As a mature person, you shouldn't be in jail. We go down to the tombs. That's like the main hub of crime in Manhattan. And we get separated. She goes to the ladies and I go to the guys. I spend a night in jail. Eventually, I get to call my buddy. I make my phone calls, a pay phone in there. I call him, like, what's going on? He's like, my mom thought you were involved with Al-Qaeda. I was like, are you serious? He's like, he's like, dude, who knows what's going on? The police come here and arrest you? Like, so I was like, dude, it's nothing. I can explain. Just stay by the phone. When you're in court, you're in the holding cell. Then you get to another area. And the goal is to get to the judge, to get the hell out of there. I'm in the court chamber, finally, 5.30 in the morning. You can hear all the cases that are going on. I mean, these are like, Siri, Kelly, no, running from the police. Crack. Weapon. The judge was like, okay, low bells, see me next tomorrow. Real kind of chill judge. So he got to me and said, he said, what's going on? I said, dude, honestly, I bought this laptop from a kid from Chicago. I did not know it was stolen. He said, hey, hey, I understand what's going on. Just come back Monday and we can figure this out. No bail, no nothing. Cool. I walk out. I sit in the back of the chamber and I'm just waiting for her because then they bring the ladies out. So when they bring the ladies out, there's a judge change with this chick lady and she's busting balls. She's, I mean, jaywalking. Three years. It was just, uh, I just felt it in my stomach like this is, this is going to be bad. So finally, my girlfriend, she gets up. She had a horrible public defender who was real jerky. You know, the plan of, you know, her boyfriend had a laptop, she was staying in the apartment, blah, blah, blah. She comes from a good family. And then she just stopped. She came from such a good family, she just wouldn't be in the situation. $7,500 bail. I see my girlfriend and she turns around, and gives me this look. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? So she kind of, you know, does her fingers like seven, five, zero, zero. And they put her in cuffs and took her back to jail. So I get in the cab, I go back to the apartment. And I just go raise $7,500 cash. My buddy's mother, who's 68 years old, and was like, you need to move fast because they're moving her to Rikers Island. Rikers Island, it's a famous prison. I can't have her going around like, that just sounds bad. I need to go out in the streets and find this cash. And this cash, that's the thing. Cash is difficult to have, like a rap video. It's hard to make it rain just with cash like that. In New York City. I'm not from New York. I'm from Chicago. So. I had her debit card, so I kind of, I went to the bank, I had like maybe $1,500, and then she had friend, friend. So, so Sabrina went to the bank, Rock had maximum withdrawal, Rock's mom, had just she's older, she just has like mattress money, you know, and my dad wired me, it was like five or $600, but it was nuts. I'm like a grand short, I have like $6,500, so, there was an unscrupulous character that I know. Like your mom would tell you, don't get involved with people like that. I know what he does. You know, and if it was a movie that you get the money from him, you don't pay him back, he tries to kill you. But you know, it's sort of like, you don't want to get in sorts with people like that to loan money, but I had to do it. I was like, dude, I need a thousand dollars. He's like, for what? So I told him what happened, he said, man, why didn't you come to me for the whole thing? I'm like, oh, hell no. He floated me the thousand dollars. By midnight-ish, 
I kind of like got all the money together and I have a fanny pack filled with cash. I don't know how I pulled off getting $7,500 cash because that's a lot of money. I have pretty big hands and it was like all 20s and it, it was hard to even fit in my hands. I haven't slept in like almost 24 hours. I looked horrible. I needed a facial. My friend and his mom and his girlfriend, they dropped me off at the little bus that takes you into Rikers Island, which was a whole nother eight hour process. To all your listeners, keep your nose clean because the prison system is garbage. So I finally hand over the cash. Oh, the, the girl officer or whatever who's in charge of the money is like putting my cash in a money changer. And they had this 10 city mix on and it was like, that's the way love is. It was a song like, that's the way love is. You know, like, ah, you know, those high notes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding? What kind of sitcom is this? So she that, that song is playing and then like the money changers like going. And at this point, I'm, I'm like dozing off. Like I can't physically stay up. And she kept saying, hey, stop sleeping. She keeps harassing me. And just right then they're like, Gordy, you can go. She'll tell you, she was seconds, seconds away from a jumpsuit. I made it just by the skin of my teeth. When she came out, she's like, dude, when they called my name, I was like, wow, he came through. You know, I love her, so you know. That's it, but we're, yeah, we're still, you know, we make up to break up all the time. But then, but then if you talk to her, she'll tell you, like, I facilitated a women's group in there, talking about why we let men get us in these situations. Then once these ladies in there were in there because of some dude, she's like, and she, of course, she could relate because she was in there for some dude. Well, you did show your adult side. Yeah, that's, that's super adult. You go, Brian. Save the day. You can hear more Brian at Vocalo.org. We'll have a link on our site as well, snapjudgment.org. And that piece was produced by our own Stephanie Fu. Now keep it locked. Snap Judgment's chasing that cheddar, and we just got started. More tales about the almighty green stuff in just two shakes of a slot machine. Snap Judgment. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. Now, you might not know this, but I come from a long line of numbers runners. People used to go knock on doors. Hey, you gonna play the numbers today? Well, guess what put us out of business? Lotto. Yep, the state lottery put a lot of good people out of business, and I got to thinking maybe there's got to be some good side to this nationalized numbers running. So we sent Snap Judgment producer Anna Sussman to Texas to see if maybe she could shed some light. In Roby, Texas, a tiny farm town outside of Abilene, I met some folks at the town's only diner, where farmers come in at dawn for coffee. I'm Bob Terry, live in Roby, Texas. My name's Gene Terry. We are at the Silver Star Restaurant, Roby, Texas. Uh, It's a little farm town. Population 600, Roby, Texas, Crossroads of Opportunity. That was on the sign coming into town for years. It depends on how optimistic you are. (laughs) But it was tough to be optimistic around here during the years they called the big drought. I get into high school, the drought, 
is starting to kick in a little bit. People can't afford the land to farm anymore. It's, it's just gotten a little bit worse every year. I had a lot of people that about to go bankrupt. When that happens, well, it doesn't do anybody any good. Everyone was in debt. That was a cotton farmer. Do I have debt? Well, anybody that farms has debt. <laughs> supplement my income, I've always worked in the cotton gin in the winters. The day before Thanksgiving, I was sitting there drinking coffee. Peggy, uh, her secretary, told me to give her $10. She's going to put my name in the lottery. My oldest son and I, we decided to go buy the gin and get a cup of coffee. So Peggy came in, wanted to know if we wanted to buy a ticket for the lottery. And I said, well, how much could we win? She said, well, 53 million or something like that. I said, well, I'll take $10. And my son was there and he bought the ticket. I went by the gym, they had a deal and I bought me a ticket. I wanted to get with the crowd. Forty-two originally came in on the lottery from Roby. 43 was Jim Carson at the liquor store. My name is Jim Carson, so I own Longhorn Liquor, and it was the day before Thanksgiving, and she came in and wanted to buy 420 lottery tickets. Peggy Dixon had her little blue dress on, I'll never forget her, and she said, I want the $50 million lottery. I said, oh, okay. So she showed me this list of people that, 42 people that had put in $10, and, and I asked her if I could put in my $10. She said, that'd be fine. All my life, I've told my wife that I was either gonna hit the Reader's Digest sweepstakes or the Publisher's Clearinghouse sweepstakes or the lottery. The night before, Jimmy and I were doing the dishes, and he started talking about what he would do if we won the lottery, and I'm like, just get over it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Peggy called 10 after 10. She was crying. I didn't know. I thought somebody died or something. I was sitting there asking, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What's the matter? And what she was saying is, we won the lottery. We won the lottery. Got up the next morning. Had it on the Sweetwater radio station, and the guy said that. It turns out that that $50 million lottery ticket was purchased out of Sweetwater, Texas. Yeah, but check this. The $50 million divided by 43 folks from Roby, Texas. Well, being 43 out of 670 people, everywhere you went in town, you would see a winner. And I was just in shock. I just couldn't believe it. But everybody was real excited, uh, especially our daughter. She was dancing around and singing. And yeah, I wish everybody could have a dose of it, you know, it was, it's really incredible. We won 46.6 million. It's nearly 1.2 million is what everyone got before taxes. Some of them were really hurting for money, I mean hurting badly for money, and it was a godsend for them. There was farmers here that was going to go under. Jack McClure was gone if it hadn't been for the lotto. It saved their buns. My story is, is I've been farming since 58, and this is the second time I got even with my banker. Do you figure them years up? Initially, the first feeling is like what you see on TV. I felt that way two or three days, you know, just on that natural high of uh, life is so perfect now. I thought the whole town was going to be like that. You know, people would be going to the grocery store up here with their furs on, diamonds cutting people's face, we've gotten a fist fight, you know, just the, <laughs> the old Hollywood thing, you know. The reporters kept coming back, so you're still driving the same old pickup that you had. What's wrong with this? And it still runs fine. What they didn't know is there wasn't enough money to buy a new pickup out of that payment. I was just hoping I could pay my bills. <laughs> no, that life didn't change any for us. It made it a little easier, maybe, but it didn't change. They were in debt terribly. They were about to lose their farms, and it, it saved them. It didn't really change people's lives that much, not like you would think that it would. My first check turned around at the end of the day, it was all gone. Uh, mainly debt. I splurged and I bought a in-ground swimming pool, $10,000. It broke. It's buried in the backyard. Lance got tired of seeing the town fall apart and the stores close up and the children move away. He thought the big win could be an opportunity to turn things around for Roby. At first I thought that people on the lottery could turn their money back into something and many, many tried. I would say over half tried to start some type of business. I tried, I called 
Tyson Industries, Walmarts, you know. We didn't have the manpower around here. I mean, we'd already lost too many people. I wish somebody would just come in here with tons of money and decide to build some kind of business that would hire our young people. I mean, the town already won the lotto. Yes. So you can't hope for that. <laughs> oh, you can always hope for that. Then some of the Roby 43 began to get ill. Very ill. And some of them died. Some of the town's non-winners started a rumor. They said that the winners were cursed. Peggy Dixon, the beloved secretary at the Cotton Gin, died of cancer, one year to the day after receiving her first lotto check. The cold hard fact is we lost a lot of people originally, and the biggest one being Peggy Dixon. Well, some of them have met with bad luck. There have been several deaths. Uh, some of them actually lost their winnings. Big Mike's wife passed away. They all five had a, five shares. Jack McClure, the, he had a yeah, share. Jack he McClure. passed away. And then we've lost, I, I think, three more in that same family. One guy was stung by 200 bees. Another crashed the new pickup he bought with his winnings. Gene Terry's house burned to the ground. But just when Gene was telling me that he didn't believe in a curse... I don't see that there was any curse here. He got a phone call at the Silver Star Cafe. Betty's house. Betty. Betty. Uncle Bill, right across the road from you. I hope you His uncle's house, across the street from his, was on fire. Betty's house is on fire. Oh, really? He was also a winner. The men all slammed down their coffee cups, put on their hats... I got it. Go on. I got it. Go on, man and ran to their trucks to go help with the fire. Because everyone helps everyone around here. I, I remember a sign at one time that said Lotto Town. I don't know who took it down or who put it up. <laughs> you know, but I personally was glad to see it gone. I just, I didn't want that image painted on us that uh, that's all we were. We are nice people and will help anybody. Oh, money's not important, money's fleeting. If I had to think of a citywide motto, it would be that Roby is friendly. Now, Anna tells me that if you're ever in West Texas, be sure to pay a visit to the good folk of Roby. There's fish and shrimp on Fridays at the Silver Star Cafe. And a brief alert, moms and dads, this next story includes some violence that might be upsetting to the little ones. Now, love can get complicated when one person makes more money than the other. You throw in race, class, all kinds of stuff, and it's going to be a combustible mixture no matter what you do. But I'm just going to let Kai Hassery tell his own story. I'm a freelance journalist traveling around Africa and finding stories. There was a lot of international news about the Ugandan bill being debated in its parliament to give the death penalty to gay people. The anti-homosexuality bill of 2009 calls for a sentence of life in prison for being gay. Death by hanging. Homosexuality is a crime. We don't want homosexuality in Uganda. Full stop. So that's what actually originally took me to Africa, to meet gay men and lesbians and produce stories about them. I'm gay. I'm also single. Just because I'm in East Africa doesn't make me want to stop going on dates. One challenge is the scene here is very underground. The way to find gay men around here normally is to meet guys online. Finding guys can be complicated also by the fact that homosexuality is extremely illegal in all of these countries, punishable by several years in jail. I've gone on several dates with guys, and one of the things I've learned over the last few months is that their expectation might be that I might support them financially, certainly pay for their dinner, and even more than that. One of the things I've decided now is that I really need to find guys who are closer financially to me. A couple of weeks ago, I was on my way to Nairobi. I don't know anyone in Nairobi, but I knew it was a big city. I figured there must be a gay scene. I wanted to find my way into it. So I posted a profile. I got a lot of different responses. But one guy in particular, a guy named Diddy, he had some fun pictures. His English seemed pretty good and said that he worked at a high-end salon in a big fancy mall in Nairobi. I thought, oh, that sounds like the kind of guy that I could probably find out a few things from. 
and who knows, maybe have a good time with. The very next day, I went to the mall where Diddy works, went to his salon. He was super friendly. He invited me to have a pedicure. He said, oh, my friend Wendy will give it to you. Don't worry, I will pay for it. I thought this was a really nice offer and actually also a sign that financially he must be okay in order to provide this service. So I accepted. At the end, his shift was over. And so I said, how about I take you out for dinner? He suggested a place downtown called Tacos. So we went. The two of us sat down for dinner. We had a really good chat. And I I felt we had a kind of a connection going on. At the end of the dinner, I paid. I had a good time, but I was ready to go home. So we went for a short walk through downtown until we got in front of this somewhat notorious straight bar called Simmers. I said to Diddy, hey, thanks a lot for the good time. I'm going to get a cab home now. And this is where things kind of suddenly took a turn. Diddy said, how do you expect me to get home? I said, oh, well, I guess I figured that you knew where you lived, so you would take care of that. And he said, well, I don't have money to get home. I I knew that he had got a 500 shilling tip, that's around $7, on his way out of the salon that day. So I knew he had at least some cash in his pocket. I've heard this story before. I've definitely been out with guys who suddenly at the very end kind of drop the bomb that they're looking for money. And so I was kind of disappointed that after what I thought was a pretty good date, I was suddenly in that tricky situation that I really tried to avoid being in. And he said, I need a thousand Kenyan shillings to get home in a taxi. That was a lot of money for a taxi ride, like too much. So I said, can't you take a Matatu, which is the local bus? And he said, they're not running anymore. I said, it's 10.30. And he said, I'm going to have to walk home now. It's not safe. Then he started to cry, like totally bald, like tears running down his face. Total 180 in terms of personality and just gone Looney Tunes. There's people around us. They're starting to stare. And I just want the situation to go away. You know, I tried to give him money. And I said, here's a thousand. And that's when he said, no, you owe me 1500 for that pedicure and wouldn't take that. I think I don't want to be here with this guy who's going crazy. I just want to be where there's public. Frankly, I expected that I would be let into this club because I'm white and that Diddy would not because he's black and a raving lunatic. In East Africa, it's pretty common for security guards to just wave white people through. I knew what I was using at this point, which was my white privilege card. The security guard would not let me in either. So the two of us are standing outside the club. Diddy is screaming louder than ever, and this time he lets way too much information out. He starts screaming, we're lovers, we're dating, you owe me for services. (gasps) I start thinking, oh my God, he's now outed us to 60 or 70 people who are now circling closer and closer in on us. We're not lovers, we're not dating, I'm shouting that, but I'm realizing that this mob is not necessarily going to listen to me either. A lot of the people in this crowd are female prostitutes. And when Diddy was shouting, you owe me for services, they're thinking, hey, he's a brother. Knowing that mob justice can be swift, extremely cruel, and it can be extremely painful, I realized... I am suddenly in deep trouble. From out of the blue, I see hope in the form of a youngish looking white couple that is trying to enter the bar. I looked right in their eyes and said, please, I can't explain what's going on, but I'm in grave danger right now and you need to help me. And sure enough, they immediately took my side and said, what can we do? And I said, I need to get away from here, so please walk with me away from this crowd, as if this guy could maybe hopefully be my security guard. Then Diddy kind of intercepted me and started yelling at them. But then I realized suddenly Diddy had his back to me. I knew I had a split second and I had to make my move. I immediately locked eyes with my cab driver. He had the car right there. I jumped in, closed the door, locked it. I said to the driver, just go. As I said that, I saw Diddy turn around 
see what was going on and he made a break for the car. And at that moment when he grabbed the handle, a huge group of cabbies who were also there descend on him. And they yank him away from me and they start beating Diddy up. As soon as these guys start wailing on Diddy, I say, hey, stop that, don't beat him up. I tried my hardest to save Diddy and I just felt like I've done enough. I need to get out of here alive. I said to the driver, just go. He hit his foot on the accelerator and as we were lurching away, Diddy broke free from the mob of cabbies, ran straight in front of our cab and we slammed right into him head on. The last thing I saw of Diddy was his face in tears on my hood. But that didn't stop me from saying to the driver, keep going, keep going. As we were driving away and I was not looking back, I said to the driver, do you think they're going to kill Diddy? And the driver said, I don't think so. A couple minutes later, his phone rang and it was from one of the cabbies in the mob that just took out Diddy. The guy said, you need to tell your fare that we want money for taking that guy out. So when we got to the hostel where I was staying, I paid the driver 2,000 Kenyan shillings, which was far more than that ride was worth, but I was so thankful that he saved my life. And I also paid 1,000 Kenyan shillings to that mob. There is a lot of irony here of the fact that I have been a gay rights leader in Canada and an advocate for gay rights. And I essentially paid an angry mob to gay bash another guy. Now it turns out that Diddy did in fact survive the attack, made it out with a fat lip. And Kai, he's since found a stable, very cool set of friends in East Africa where he still lives. And he's never had to run over a single one of them. That story was produced by Anna Sussman and Stephanie Fu. But when we come back, when you have very little money to begin with, why would you give it all away? And I get to take y'all back to the most interesting religious festival you've never heard of, where everybody gets to be a millionaire for seven days. For real. Right after the break, snap judgment, y'all. The Kaching episode. We'll be right back. listening to Snap Judgment, the Kaching episode. And you know money is the root of all evil, right? Right? Well, a lack of it has broken up more than one Romeo and Juliet. This next story comes from the fantabulous podcast, Love and Radio by Nick Vanderkolk. I forget how it came up. Um, probably came up out of nowhere, knowing Sarah. But she just said to me, you have to get a full-time job. And I said to her, no way. Sarah, I do not need a full-time job. I will never get a full-time job. My goal is to figure out a way to create cash flow. I just assumed, okay, if I lay down the line and like explain to him that I need him to get a nine to five job so that I can sleep at night and stay with this man who I'm really interested in, then he'll do it. It was a public place, um, and we weren't yelling and screaming at each other. Well, 
but in some ways that's a little bit more scary. Well, we because we weren't yelling and screaming, so we were channeling all of our anger and all of our bitterness into uh, these very stern, specific words and uh, icy stares and glares. It was like a showdown. Oh yeah. How heated was it? How heated is heated? Well, we we almost broke up when I finally had the balls to have the confrontation, and then he was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Kind of a response, you know. It was like such a yeah. It's called no. The kind of work that I make, I always take personal issues and bring them to the public as a way to help myself move past the issue. Uh, I know that no issue that I've had myself is unique to me, and that I'm really working with universal ideas. Can you give me some examples of other stuff that you've addressed? Yeah, reconciling what it means to be in love with a non-Jewish man as a Jewish woman, what it means to be an artist, and promiscuity issues, sexual relations with one too many people, my fear of being an artist, and how I love to hide behind my day job. <laughs> Every time we had the money conversation, I got very awkward, tense, cranky, broke out into hot flashes. I was always just suddenly mad at him for some other reason that just happened to be at the same time that we were having the money conversation of like, why do you never make the bed? Why do you never make the bed? I began to understand that my body was having a physical reaction to money. Once I realized how prevalent that was uh, for me, I realized I needed to make a dance about it. Cash. I really wanted to scare the shit out of myself as a way to reassess my relationship to money. That's when I came up with the idea of cashing out my entire savings account, of which I have uh, or had at the time, $5,000, and give it away. Each audience member must decide whether to keep the money or give it back. They can put it in their pants and walk away, and no one will stop them. They just understand that they're taking all that I have. Hi. Hi. <laughs> There's money in my right pant pocket. Okay. Take it, it's for you. It becomes a psychological experiment on what you'll do with someone else's money. At what point does it no longer become yours? I still think that even though I've genuinely given it to them, that they're going out into the world and spending my money. <laughs> I always go back to the core, which is I look at them in the eyes and I say, here's X amount of dollars. Take it. It's for you. When I say it, I mean it take it, it's for you, doesn't mean take it, it's for you, but I'm sort of kind of joking, half Lee, and I'd really love for you to give it back at the end of the show. Hi. Here's $50. Take it, it's for you. Oh, come on. What often happens is if someone feels as though they've had to work hard for the money, then they often keep it. It's too much like work. <laughs> Can you describe for me that feeling that you have at the end of the night when that last chunk of change is gone? What goes through your mind? What does that feel like? Every single time I do this last moment where I give the balance of what I have on the floor, which is always a couple thousand dollars to one person, I have the exact same response every time, which is sheer fear. When I, I look at everyone for the last time after I've given my entire life savings away and I'm left with nothing, I find that Yeah, so it was Holland. Uh, the first two nights, we had not lost any money. In fact, we had gained enough money to make up for the losses we had in New York City. Through a number of circumstances, Sarah wound up giving this $3,800 to this woman who had lost her wallet. After the show, I uh, opened the box and I did the count. And I realized we're down like $2,500. 
And then the artistic director of the New Orders on Festival, uh, this guy named Mark Yeoman. They tell Mark that we've lost this money, and this guy goes absolutely nuts. We're like, we're, you know, he's like, I can't believe they your money. This is so embarrassing. Oh my God, you know, like, how could they? And we're like, yo, 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 yo. This is the show. This is what this is about. You know, this is the money coming. This is the event. This is what you hired us to come do. You know, Sarah and I pretty much just go to bed. Uh, how did he sleep that night? <laughs> I slept like a baby. So Mark Yeoman makes crazy phone calls, okay? And one of the people he reaches is his communications director. She knows exactly who these people were. So she, like, takes it upon herself to go find these people and tracks them down in a bar on the festival grounds. And suddenly, this big kind of, like, uh, argument broke out between them where she accused them of taking the money. You know, they, like, you know, tried to explain why they took the money. And so from what I understand, there was, like, a big 15-minute shouting match in this bar. You know, they left abruptly. And sure enough, uh, you know, the next day when Sarah and I uh, went back to the theater, there is a little envelope with $2,500 in U.S. Uh, dollars uh, and the girl's uh, phone number. Doesn't that violate the rules of the piece, though? No, uh, no, not at all, actually. Because Yes, it totally violates <laughs> the rules of the piece. No, the not whole, at all. The whole time I was telling Mark, you can't humiliate these people and force them to give it back because I'm genuinely giving it to them. We understood that how the festival was responding was their own reaction to not wanting me to lose my money. And we, we didn't ask for it back. We never communicated with them. And if someone else guilted them into giving it back, then that's something that we had no control over. But I think that is the event. I disagree. We never asked for the money back. Mark is also an audience member. That was his own reaction to the money, right? And then that was then transferred to his communications director. She could have just went like, all right, great, Mark. Well, that's the show and gone to bed. But for whatever reason, because of her own relationship to money, she went out and she found these people. She tracked them down. We did nothing. We just did the show, gave away the money, and then the event happened outside the theater, independent of us. And I think that's what the money conversation is. That's exactly what I'm saying. Well, good. Then we, then we actually do agree. <laughs> <laughs> so understand, when I grew up, we didn't celebrate Christmas. And I didn't care, didn't want to. You don't believe me. So let me tell you why. It's because we had something better. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. A week-long festival of excess at sites all over the country, all over the world. And this is how things work. See, first, my cult founder demanded that we pay 10% of our income to the church unless we wanted to see ourselves burn in the devil's lake of fire. This was called the first tithe. And that's, that's pretty standard. But then you had to save another 10%. The second tithe. And friends... This is where it gets good, because the second tithe was yours to keep. 1855, he tithed $9.50. 1856, he tithed $28.37. The apostle commanded we save the second tithe, 10%, and then we were instructed to go to a festival site and blow the entire amount in seven days. That's right. Eat, drink, and be merry the entire time. It symbolized the coming of the world tomorrow where we would get to hang out with Jesus. Now, for weeks, we would pile over church literature, weighing the merits of various sites around the world as if we didn't know good and well we were going to the Wisconsin Dells. The Dells is a vacation wonderland with amusement parks, ride, fudge, delicious fudge, haunted house, man, and if you like nature, it's got all kinds of nature outside. We piled into the station wagon, some crazy hour in the morning, started driving. Right before we left, we put a green feast sticker on the bumper of our car. Pops drive for a while, then, what, 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 y'all want to stop off at the restaurant and get some breakfast? What? We never went to a restaurant for Jack, but this was different. Whatever y'all want, order it up. Go ahead and 
eat breakfast. Pancakes, sausage, more pancakes, hash browns, extra butter, baby, till the waitress keep the change dollar and got back in the station wagon. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, baby. And by then, it was kind of light outside. And every once in a while, we'd see one, one of them green church stickers. And pops started honking, and they started honking back, and their kids waved and carried on. And we were so happy because suddenly the world was full of believers with this sticker and that sticker. And the closer we got to the Dells, the more green stickers, till the highway was full of the Lord's chosen people. And we weren't alone in the woods anymore. When we finally rode up to the hotel, every single car in the parking lot sported that green sticker people from all over the country, and this year, we were lucky. Finally, finally got reservations at the Mayflower Hotel, which was the cool spot, and wait, no way could it be Jenny! There was Jenny from Hammond, Indiana. Yeah, I had prayed to the Lord to make sure Jenny came to the Dells, and the Lord loved me. I had to be cool, though. You know, spread the love around first. Hey, Toledo, how y'all doing? What's up, Minneapolis, St. Paul? Uh-huh. My father said, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. He gathered us boys around and started handing out cash and money. Nah, nah, that's all you get. Don't come ask me for nothing else. And that's for the tithes and offerings too, boys. Now it's young lords, us, big ballers, spending cash. Be cool, be cool, be cool. Here come Jenny and them. Uh-uh, y'all want some ice cream? Let me see if I can weed that big teddy bear. Uh, wait, 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 let me try it one more time. It was fun, y'all. Fun, fun, fun. More fun than y'all ever had with this Christmas thing. I know you're about to say, what about the Christmas presents? I'm not hearing about the Christmas presents. Well, I'm getting to that. The whole idea was that everything was supposed to be temporary. You couldn't buy a car or siding for your house or nothing like that. But the one exception, the kind of a cheat, the one that even the apostle let slide was the feast gift. And better still, you could get it for yourself. I knew exactly what I was gonna get, what I always wanted, what I never had, a watch. Wind up dial, gold-plated timepiece, all planned out. I was gonna get it for myself on the way back to Michigan. See, better than Christmas. And yes, of course, there was a catch. The catch was that you had to go to long, boring church services every single day of the festival. But the first day, it was actually fun. 10,000 people in their church finest. Yeah, 10,000 brethren clutching their Bibles, singing, talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Exciting. Exciting. Of course, after a few minutes, I went to go spend up this cash because that was the Lord's will. And every day was better than the next. Roller coasters. Wisconsin Dells has these amphibious duck boats and you can ride on them and get to the go-karts with the shooting ranges, the wax museum. They have the mystery spot with rooms growing smaller and people balancing on broomsticks. Jenny, Jenny, you want to go to Haunted House? And it was about the third or fourth day I reached into my pocket for some more loot and realized I wasn't feeling as much folding stuff as I expected. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe left some in my other pants. Had to get on the water ride, though. Plus, the crew was going for pizza later on. Wanted to know if I was down for renting a limo. What? Yeah, I'm down for renting a limo. What you talking about? Got back. Next morning, Pop's talking about, we got to have cereal in the room for breakfast today. I'm like, hey, you know, they got that never-ending stack of pancakes over at the Paul Bunyan. Boy... Eat your cornflakes and be quiet. And we get to church, and one of the council of elders gets up on the podium and says he has to make a special announcement, and 10,000 people shut up and listen. Brethren, I want you all to have a good time. Jesus wants you to have a good time, but it is not being a wise steward to try and go home, spend up all your money, and not have anything left over for gas. Oh, yeah. Whoops. It wasn't just me. You saw people all over the auditorium looking around all nervous, right? Time to do an accounting. Uh-oh. I just had barely enough for my watch, and I was not going to go back to Michigan without my watch. But it was cool. It was cool. I just had to cut back. Just cut back for the last couple days of the festival. Uh, nah, Craig, um, I'm not going to be able to go to that amusement park today. Mom wants me to go to this young ambassador thing. Uh, Jenny, Jenny. 
why don't we just take a nice hike in the woods instead of going to the magic show? Man, that girl was down with my foolishness. Everything was working out. I was going to slide by the store on the way back to Michigan and get my gold-plated watch and everything was going to be cool. Last day of services. Brethren, I've got some good news. I just got off the phone with pastors from Norfolk, Virginia and Miami, Florida, and they said they had a record offering to the church. Everybody clapped. Well, I said, fine, fine, but Jesus lives right here in Wisconsin Dales, and we're going to have a record offering as well. Ain't that right, brethren? Oh, no. I knew I forgot something. I knew it, the offering. Brethren, if you haven't gotten your offering envelope, just raise your hand as ushers have them available now. I raised my hand, and an usher passed me the offering envelope. Now, we need big numbers if we're going to continue God's work, brethren. We can't let the rest of our brothers put us to shame. Pops gave me that hard look. I've been wanting that watch forever. Went on ahead and wrote a big number on the envelope. After services, we got back to the hotel, hugged everybody goodbye, bye, kind of teary-eyed. Got back in the station wagon, drove through town, and I asked Pops to make one quick stop. I jumped out and ran to the store. See, I did write a big number on that church envelope to teach them Norfolk, Virginia, Miami, Florida folk a lesson, but I figured the Lord's going to be around for a while. I'd pay him back later. And Jenny, but <laughs> well, Jenny was going to love the watch I got her. Right on, right on. Snap Judgment was produced by myself, but never alone. I just want everybody to put their hands together for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Cash Money Ristich, Anna Rockefeller Big Tech Sussman, and Rita Better have spinners on my ride, Daniels. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Ain't that right, Stephanie Fool? And Will, they call him the gold finger, Urbina. Mitzi, call me a limo, not a cab mock. Now, if you're pulling that old coin up the sleeves trick over on West 23rd Street, hold up if you see the Corporation for Public Broadcasting walking by. There's wise to your action, because I tried it last week. Now, what's as tasty as rich folks' mustard? Why, it's PRX. And this is just not the news. It is not the news. In fact, you could hang out with Donald Trump, ask him to join your new business selling pictures of rich people to other rich people, fire him for insubordination, watch him grovel for one more chance, one more chance, one more chance, please one more chance, and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is in 